0: And to each one, what a blessing it is to pray for one another and to bring our burdens and our thoughts together. I think there's power in prayer, especially as we consider unity in prayer and in agreement coming together in that. I thought of the song Sweet Hour of Prayer, where the songwriter esteem this as a, as a desirable thing to pray. And what a blessing it is to pray for one another because there's results in that. We have a God who hears. In the last eight days, I've been to a wedding and a funeral and about three other services. So if you do the math, I've been to church about every other day the last little while, on the average. But I got to, to thinking about uh, a wedding. We usually associate that as, as something that is joyful and happy. Funerals, a little bit the other side. a um, Sad time. But you know, as I thought of those two occasions, and I think it's a good, it's a good thing that we esteem these events, marriage and death, as warranting a service. You know, we could just have a ceremony and and be done with such things in short order. But it's a precious thing to remember an occasion like this with with some reverence and respect and to where we, we have these occasions. At a wedding, we're happy. But there may be elements of sadness in a wedding. Have you ever thought about that? When a son or daughter leaves a home, there's a change that could take place there. That could bring sadness and the same at a funeral there may be elements of joy when you consider a loved one having faithfully served the Lord and met his reward and also to think of God's power and ability to bring that to pass This morning, I invite you to Acts 17, verse 29 through 31. Acts 17, verse 29. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, We ought not to think that the Godhead is likened to gold or silver or stone, graven by art and man's device. At the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, in that he hath raised him from the dead. I like that idea of assurance before God. But the the first verse I read there, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone or man's devices. Things that we can manipulate. This verse would caution us not to think of God in a certain way or in the wrong way or have limiting ideas or or thoughts concerning our understanding of the person of God. Let's turn now to Isaiah forty. Verse eighteen says, To whom then will ye liken God, or what likeness will ye compare unto him? And very similar in verse 25, to whom then will you liken me or shall I be equal, saith the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and behold, who hath created these things that bringeth out their host by number? He calleth them all by names, by the greatness of his power, of his might. For that he is strong in power, not one faileth. The question is asked, to whom will you compare me? God says Invites us to do that. To what likeness do you compare God? Is there an answer to that? Do we have an answer? Do we have? Is it just a question that is designed to to stomp us? Well, I would, I would like to maybe think the Bible does have an answer. And I invite you now to Romans chapter 1, verse 20. I'm going to let the the Bible answer its own question. Romans 1 verse 20, it says this, For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse, or that they may be without excuse. In other words, there's no room for excuse or defense that, we should not know God to some extent or sense his presence. There was a, a Christian apologist, Kent Hoven. He said these words, an atheist cannot find God for the same reason a thief cannot find a police officer. He was a strong apologist for creation and for the truth of the word of God. For the invisible things of him are seen from the creation of the world. I'd like to look a little bit at that, uh, one of the characteristics of God mentioned here, and that is his eternal power. The idea of something eternal. It's not a word we use um, lightly. In fact, we don't much use that word of all because there's so little in this world that that the word eternal would pertain to in this life. We, we talk about things that are durable and long-lasting heavy-duty we like those things we even may use the word permanent but even in that use of that word we we recognize that it's it's not a permanent thing to have the things of this life maybe you remember the county would sometimes uh, refer to a building as having a permanent foundation or not, depending on how much they wanna tax you. If it it doesn't have a permanent foundation, then you may pay less taxes. But even then, a lot of foundations, you'll, you'll soon see they are not permanent. They are very transient in the face of flood or earthquake. Nothing comes close to the concept of eternal in this life. But there is apparently a, a, uh, an aspect of nature that reveals the concept of eternity in God's creation. And I thought of, of something that I thought may. Qualify for that there may be other things But what feature of God's creation Depicts his eternal Characteristic In the fact that Of itself and this is something you can observe It is eternal It is boundless It has no end And that is Space The heavens Declare the glory of God and space is basically nothing, and yet it it has no end. Astronomers would, would try to calculate the size of the universe by what they can observe. And the only conclusion is that, you know, there's always more, there's more to be seen. There's stars, there are many objects in space yet there is never any real boundary that we know of. I would, I would hesitate to say there, there's any boundary to space and you could say it is infinite, it is eternal. The, the real amazing thing about that is, is God can create this infinite creation size and still reside outside of that creation. And that is where I believe the thought in Isaiah really comes forth, that to whom will ye liken me? The verse of the song says, Walk in the light, and thou shalt find thine heart made truly his, who dwells in cloudless light enshrined, in whom no darkness is. You know, I think with, for us here today, um, we, ha- we have no problem Uh, believing that God exists. I don't think that's a problem for us. But does our view of God affect the way we order our lives before him? Are there different ways of seeing God even based on things in his word that could bring us to different views of God? You know, there's a, there's a story that is told of, of an old, old, I think it was some India story, about how there were these five blind men that were trying to figure out what an elephant was. You know, and, and the only thing they could go by is, is what they could feel with their hands. And so, And the story, I, I doubt if it's a true story. It's, it's just to illustrate a point that we see and, and think and feel different things about the same object. And so one felt the side of the elephant, and he said, well, the elephant is like a wall. And one felt the leg of the elephant, and he said, well, an elephant is like a big, strong tree that that moves around. And so on. They went down the list, and each one saw a different thing about the elephant. But That that story serves to illustrate how we can have different uh, perspectives uh, on the same thing, differing points of view about the same thing and and can this happen with how we look at God you know God has so many different characteristics and traits we think of the good things of God and certainly I, I would emphasize that God is good the psalmist said I'd fainted unless I believed to see the goodness of God in the land of the living what about the other characteristics of God that maybe we would shy away from? Such as his holiness, his justice, his sovereignty, his wrath. These are all part of the nature of God. And you could say they are opposites in a way. Let's turn now to Second Peter chapter 2. Maybe our mindset is, is such that the Old Testament portrays God as one side and the New Testament we're in uh, has a different view of God. <clears throat> and there are certainly maybe aspects to that. I would not want to give up a lot of what the Old Testament portrays to us concerning God in the Psalms. Um, In fact, the more I study the Bible, the more I appreciate what's in the Old Testament. Second Peter. Let's look first to chapter 3, verse 9, and then we'll go back to chapter 2, verse 1. I'm just bringing these out to illustrate some variations in the Lord. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, but as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, were not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance the long-suffering of God, we would put that in a, in a category of things we favor about Him. His grace, His love. And sometimes that's the only thing that gets talked about. But now in Second Peter 2, verse 1, there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you. Who probably shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction? I think that is from the Lord, and this is New Testament. We think, well, God only showed His wrath in the Old Testament. It may not necessarily be the God we serve. It has an Old Testament feel to it you know, that God would bring about that kind of destruction. And there's other examples in the New Testament where that is not always the case, that it is exclusive to the Old Testament, the wrath of God and the, the fire of God. In verse, chapter 2, verse 21, interesting thing here, it says, for it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness, than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. Imagine God saying that. It would have been better for not to have even known the way of righteousness. How is that so? That stands out to me. That they turn... From. Now notice it doesn't say they turn from grace or they turn from love. It, it says they turn from the holy commandment. It's just interesting to me that when, when God describes in this verse those that go astray, that turn from something, it is from the holy commandment. Yes, salvation is by grace through faith. That is the message we preach. And I don't think there is dispute in that. That it is not of ourselves, it is the gift of God. That Jesus is the only way, the truth and the life. But I think when we study all of scripture and we we look at the attributes of God, it, it behooves us to think and to live soberly in this present evil age. Now, I'd like to take you to a verse that that maybe puts in context in a nutshell the, the uh, message for today, and that is Philippians chapter 2, Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. I like that aspect of working out your own salvation, but it says with fear and trembling. What's that about? I thought we our buddy-buddy with God, in a sense. There is fear and trembling before God. I'm glad it says work, work out your salvation, not work for your salvation. Our calling and our our duty stems from what we already are in Christ, I believe. A salvation experience. And out of that works our diligence toward the things of God. Along with that, the thought that it is more blessed to give than to receive. We do it out of a willing heart. And that really becomes magnified when we understand the blessedness of giving over receiving. Where He he mentions here, you you have always obeyed not as in my presence only but now much more in my absence. Not out of compulsion, not out of just the fact that the right person was around and so um, we're going to watch our our behavior from an outward compulsion, but it is to be from an inward compulsion. 2 Corinthians 3.5 says, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. Our salvation it leads us into a partnership spirit with God. We make agreement. Our plan, our our paths begin to to follow in the ways of walking with God and walking in the Spirit. There's a verse that says, "If if you live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit." This is an ongoing experience in our lives, I believe, to allow this to happen and allow and to let the work of God flow through us as a channel, not, a, not as a, uh, a closed barrel or container. I recently heard a a, a thought given as to uh, two different bodies of water in in the land of of Israel. And I believe it was the Sea of Galilee and it was the Dead Sea. And, And the illustration was how the one sea, it has life, it has fish, it has a lot of good desirable things about it because the water comes in but it also goes out. It flows through that body of water whereas the Dead Sea, there is no life. it is Pretty much whatever it takes in, it just keeps for itself. And there's a deadness there. There might be minerals, there might be things that are worthwhile, but there's no life. What does it mean to work out your salvation with fear and trembling? And often we can take a scripture and a, a promise, whether it's New Testament or Old, and maybe make excuses for it. We could say, well, that was the Old Testament. Or, you know, we're taking that verse out of context. And we can we can come, I think, to viable differing views of, of certain words of scripture. It's not that it all only means one, this one thing. It can't branch out into other um, truths out of one verse. Jesus often would quote scripture and it's surprising to me how often that verse that he would bring up seemingly was out of context. It's like, well, how did he get that from that particular verse? But he would do that. The word of God is quick and powerful and is meant to be used to apply to life um, and as I, as I look at the Old Testament, I think it has value, it has some, some ways very pertinent ways to apply to our lives. It, the, the New Testament <clears throat> describes the Old Testament as the oracles of God. Um, to them was given the oracles of God, Romans 3 verse 2. We have the Psalms, we have the Proverbs, we have all the verses that pertain very aptly to truths in this life, whether it's in the Old Testament or New. As we consider our standing before the Lord, yes, we are called out, we are the ecclesia, we have have benefits and advantages of being part of the bride of Christ and yet the call remains to honor God, to not dishonor God with our bodies, Romans 1 verse 2, Romans 1 verse 24. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own bodies to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. I think, you know, we were created in the form of, of God. There's a certain amount of honor, uh, respect that is attached to our humanity because of that. That just because we're in a fallen world is not an excuse to throw it all to the wind and let Satan have full dominion. Satan does not have full dominion in this world. He has a partial degree of power that God has allotted and given to him. I'm not sure where that line always is, but the call is to honor God. In fact, when when it talks about God creating man, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visiteth him? For he hath made him a little lower than the angels and hath crowned him man with glory and honor. Um, Maybe some would say, well, that just refers to Jesus. But the call is to honor God with our bodies. To live righteously and soberly. Even though we... Live in a fallen state, and and maybe we use that as an excuse sometimes for well, that's just the way I am. Uh, I can't really help it. But you know, the game is not over yet. the The final score, as it relates to our own lives, isn't over. God says in in one of the churches to. His message to the church in Revelation. Thou hast a little strength. That was not a qualification for giving up. Weakness does not disqualify us. It does not give us a, uh, a reason to doubt God. God still wants us to partner with him. If even in our weakened state. And to strengthen the things that remain. Second Corinthians Verse. Second Corinthians eight, verse twelve. This verse talks about the importance of the mind and how we serve God. <laughs> For if there be first a willing mind, it is accepted according to that a man hath, and not according to that he hath not. And maybe I'll read the verse before that. Now therefore perform the doing of it, that as there was a readiness to will, so there may be a performance also out of that which ye have. I think this thought builds on the importance of a willing mind, uh, an, an acceptable um, standard by which we approach our own selves and what our motivation is going to be. We we learned in our Sunday school lesson the, the steps that took Samson closer and closer to well, I guess something that he didn't even know was going to happen. And what stood out to me is, is that finally, he, he told her his heart. He revealed his heart, and, and there was something about that she knew. In doing that, he, he yielded. He surrendered his spirit to the wrong, to the wrong force. And became his undoing. Maybe our idea is that he, as New Testament saints, we have a, an advantage. I like to think we do. That we have an exclusive relationship with God that was somehow superior to the Old Testament. But I'd like to look now at Romans eleven. Verses 18 through 23. It says, Boast not against the branches, but if thou boast, thou bearest not the root, but the root thee. Thou wilt say then, the branches were broken off, that I might be grafted in. Well, because of unbelief, they were broken off, and thou standest by faith. Be not high-minded, but fear. For if God spared not the natural branches, take heed lest he also spare not thee. This is New Testament teaching. Maybe I'll read verse 22. Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God on them which fell severity, but toward thee goodness, if thou continue in his goodness. Otherwise thou also shalt be cut off. And they also, if they abide not still in unbelief, shall be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. The idea of the sovereignty of God, I think, is something that should uh, cause us to, to maybe pause a little bit in our estimation of his greatness, the, the sovereignty of God. Romans 9. 15 and 16. For he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. Let's look at verse 20. Nay, but O man, who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it? Why hast thou made me thus? Hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make vessel unto honor and another into dishonor? I think of, of Hebrews chapter 12. Verse 25 and 26. See then, see that ye refuse not him that speaketh, for if they escape not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth. But now he has promised, saying yet once more, I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. Maybe we think that the Old Testament is where God really showed his power. But the the Lord would, would uh, have us know that that's not the end of his demonstrations of power and glory that he desires to bestow upon this world. <clears throat> there is to be in light of our day of grace, which we we call it a day of grace, that yet there is going to be a greater manifestation of the glory of God than even the Old Testament. And in Second Peter, it talks about the earth, the concept of the, the earth back then was destroyed by water, now being destroyed by fire. And as destructive as water can be, you would have to say fire has even a more intense uh, ability to change the structure of something or to, to purify a thing. <clears throat> Hebrews 12, verses 12 through 15. The call here is to wherefore lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees And make straight paths for your feet. Lest that which is lame be turned out of the way. But let it rather be healed. Follow peace with all men in holiness. Without which no man shall see the Lord. Looking diligently. Lest any man fail of the grace of God. Lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you. And therefore thereby many be defiled. Notice it is not the grace of God that faileth. It is man, lest any man fail of the grace of God. The idea of, of lifting up our hands to God. There's a song that says, Father, I stretch my hands to thee. No other help I know. Just just the symbolism of hands being raised, it illustrates a number of things it, it, um, I know I commented to my wife one time, why do, why do all Bible pictures, it seems like the people in those pictures have their hands up in the air. There was always some event where they were excited or looking heavenward or whatever the case would be at the manifestations of God. lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. This is more than just gossip or or hearing something wrong about someone. But I think it is more of a a total, our outlook on life in which we are just bitter. Maybe there are things in our past which we've never really gotten over. Um, The Lord wants to take those things and cultivate it into something better. You know, a root. When you think of a root of something, it it is not easily visible at first. But if it continues to abide, it soon becomes apparent. On the idea of fear and trembling before God, I thought of Ecclesiastes five two. It says, Be not rash with thy mouth, and let not thine heart be hasty to utter, utter anything before God. For God is in heaven and thou upon earth. Therefore, let thy words be few. Suffer not thy mouth to cause thy flesh to sin. Neither say thou before the angel that it was an error. Wherefore should God be angry at thy voice and destroy the work of thy hand? I realize that we live in a time when the, when the spirit lives within us. He does lead and guide us into truth. He shields us from a lot of the pitfalls and the spiritual deficiencies that maybe we would attribute to the Old Testament people. But there is a certain fear and trembling that I believe is is due us in our walk with God. We think of how Moses interceded for the people. In Exodus 32, when Moses attempted to obtain these Ten Commandments from God, and that process was short circuited, you could say, by the sound of noise in the camp. And it was not a a godly noise, it was not the sound of battle. It was not the sound of victory, but it was the sound of people who had lost their focus. They said, where is this man, Moses? We, we don't know what became of him. And they began to throw away their loyalty to God. Not only that, they began to uh, cling to something else, a golden calf of all things and it was interesting to me as I read that account recently that God was almost not sure what to do with these people even though Moses interceded for them and God numerous times said I wanted to consume them um And it was interesting in that in some of the conversations that Moses had with God. God spoke to Moses, he said, these are, are thy people that thou hast brought out of the land. They have forsaken me. And, and Moses, when he spoke to God, he said, these are thy people. They each wanted to say that, you know, these this problem is is yours, God. And God said, to Moses that these are thy people. It was almost like nobody wanted to take responsibility or knew what to do. And At one point God said, you know, leave me alone that I may know what to do unto these people. It was almost you could say a time of where things were kind of in, in the balance. History could have been altered there. But we know how Moses interceded for the people and in spite of that, in spite of the intercession, there were dire consequences. It said 3,000 men fell. They took up swords to, to, uh, to fight and to rid the camp of, I guess, some of the worst people. And it says God plagued the people. And this was even after he promised not to destroy them. But I think of Moses' relation to God and that he spoke with God. God spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaketh with his friend. And often Moses would plead his case to God. He would remind God of what God has said, yet thou hast said, I know they... I know thee by name, and thou hast found grace in my sight. Moses is saying, these are the words you told me, God. Now, therefore, I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me now the way that I may know thee. In other words, we need some direction here, God. And even in in spite of your um, previous work of grace in our lives and demonstration of that power, and your willingness to work with me. But notice how careful Moses approached God, even with, his, even with his credentials. And out of that, eventually Moses said, show me thy glory. It was almost like Moses was, knew he was losing the proper perspective he needed of his view of God. He needed a fresh insight into a higher vision And so what does that any of that mean for us today? Do we need a fresh encounter with God? Um, do we need to see God? And even as uh, some of the Old Testament prophets, who Jacob, he saw that ladder going up into heaven, he dreamed a dream, and when he woke, he said, surely the Lord is in this place, and I knew it not. And he was afraid, and said, how dreadful is this place. This is none other but the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. I think he showed some fear and trembling. I think Queen Esther, when she approached the king, she showed some fear and trembling. Even though she was esteemed by the king, she had favor with the king. And yet she knew that approaching him could mean her life. I think of the Queen of Sheba who came to see Solomon in all his glory. And it was said of her that after she visited King Solomon at the, this was at the height of his glory and prestige. There was no spirit left in her. And she said, it was a true report that I heard in my own land of thine acts and of thy wisdom Howbeit I believed not the words until I came and mine eyes had seen it and behold, the half has not been told me of thy wisdom and prosperity exceeding the fame which I heard. Maybe we're a little bit at that first part where she said, I heard the reports that You were great. I heard of thy acts. I heard of thy wisdom. But she didn't really know about it until she saw it and experienced it. And I think that is an idea, a concept that we can carry in our own minds concerning the truth of God and the wonder of God. And My encouragement today would be maybe consider anew what it means to fear God and to carry out that Old Testament um, prerogative, to fear God and to keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. And I believe it means to have full respect and appreciation, reverence before him and toward his spirit, toward his son, our savior. And to think not that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver, we surely worship a wonderful God. It doesn't mean we fear him in the sense that we have a spirit of fear or anxiety but the, the fear that stems from maybe we feel our lack of knowledge of God, and maybe that should drive us to fear. But should, uh, in the end of the day, I think it should cause us to pursue more of God. Hebrews 4.1 says, Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left of, his, uh, of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. The call of God is to be encouraged in love, in faith, but also in reverence. And a sense of wanting to follow God in all things. I trust that is a a thought and a perspective, a spirit we can carry with us in, in the following days. And my wife was um, had let me know that today is the only Sunday I'm planning to be here or able to be here on on the schedule for the month of November. So we will uh, miss being here in the next three Sundays are um, scheduled to to be at some of the other churches to preach, and then we're planning a family uh, Thanksgiving get-together at the end of November. So let's continue to remember each other in prayer, whether we are um, here or whether we are absent. So God bless each of you today, and may He bring into each of our lives the, the things we have need of. Whether it's a more perspective, whether it's a deeper love or faith, and uh, healing from His hand, Jesus came to to heal the brokenhearted and to set the captives free, to proclaim liber, uh, liberty to those who are in prison, to comfort those who mourn. And there are so many advantages to living for God and to be His uh, His child, His sons and daughters. So I really appreciate our congregation here today. I think we'll uh, have a song, and um, we'll ask our song leader to lead us at this time.